0: You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. Hi, I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And today we are going to be talking about some interesting stuff. Scott is going to lead us in with prototyping. Scott? Go ahead. What do you reckon?
1: Far away. (laughs) So we did touch on prototyping in our engineering podcast, but it was a bit of an overview of it. Um, But it is quite an important part of the development process and also uh, can be very important in your um well primarily it's used for testing things so your theories become physical and you can test things with prototypes um you do cad you can do a fair amount of testing on cad quite often i can go straight from cad to a final prototype and there's only, you know, usually either no no modifications to make or very minor modifications, but, you know, you're dealing with something on a screen that's visual only, and when you get something in your hand, it's entirely different. You know, you, you look at it and feel it a, a, a different way, and you, you know how it all fits together and locks together all the little tactile things that you need to have right. But the other, the other side of prototyping is, and it's something we do a lot more than, oh, someone's got a bugle <laughs> outside on their horn. Yes, for the, car, for the benefit <laughs> of the listener, there's someone with a... <laughs> interesting a car horn. <laughs> <laughs> Dukes a hazarded down there. That's right, own. yeah. <laughs> so you can use it actually to great benefit uh, in downstream stuff. So if you, might, if you would put in a bit more effort into the uh, prototype, you can actually use that prototype for things like uh, marketing and demonstrations and uh, raising funds, getting orders, all that sort of stuff, which can be really, really crucial.
0: So prototyping then is not just for you and the client to determine whether there needs to be any changes, it can actually, well, I suppose by that uh, point, you're not really wanting to really push to find changes, but you then use that as a, a platform to market. So it is quite vital. And so what are the costs involved? I'm sort of jumping into this, but uh, what are the costs involved typically for prototyping? Obviously, what is it you're designing? Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, p- to produce one item sounds quite expensive. Is that,
1: is that the case, Norman? Look, it's a really relatively um, slow process, so there is costs involved. There are lots of different levels of prototypes, so you can start off with a very, like we've got polymer printers that basically take an LED screen and just and run off a part fairly fast. So that's relatively cheap, a few hundred dollars you can get a part made and get a feel for how it sits in your hand. It's Usually I you, you do that for a form model, just see how the ergonomics is working, how it fits in your hand, how it feels to touch, lift, all the rest of it. So that might be a first stage, I mean, it goes right back. usually. Usually the stuff I'm doing is fairly unique, so there's nothing really to benchmark off. You can't just go and buy a product off the shelf and go, well, this one works this way, I'm going to do it that way. Some of the stuff we're doing, for example, we did a a twin cam, the first twin cam ratchet for a dog collar. And my proof of print, my first prototype for that was a piece of C-channel aluminium with a dowel through it and a piece of aluminium that I'd cut into a shape of a cam, and I put two two in a little jig Put my camp, my webbing in there and tested it, and it worked. You know, so that's that can be as simple. I'd never show the client that it's it's totally ridiculous. It looks awful, but in my mind, you know, I can sort of have a theory and then test it and then you know develop it up from there. So that can be the, the simplest. I call it a, a proof of principle jig, and that's still a prototype. It's a physical form of what you're thinking, and it's a way of testing. You know, the base principle. I think I talked about a teat. Um, that product end up changing the world uh, in, of packaging um, on, on, a, on a worldwide basis. And that started off, it was a, a self-evacuating valve, which basically took the, the air out of a bottle once you've packed it, or once you've drunk a certain portion of it. So, so the way I tested that was with a, with a teat from the chemist, and it was a you know, $2 teat in a, in a collapsible bottle, and instantly I knew the theory would work. So you know, and that developed into a product that um, that you see every time you open a package nowadays. It, it's a, a perishable product: the, the water, or, or, the, or the orange juice, or milk, or whatever is filled right to the top. There's no no gap. There used to be like an inch gap, and that saves three or four days, uh, or extends the, the life of the, the product on the shelf for three or four days, and it saves billions of litres of waste all around the world. You know, so it's a really cool little product. Made no money, but it was a, a nice offshoot, a nice social offshoot of that. That little right. thing that started off with a teat in an expandable bottle—that's so okay. something something's a little grew big. Um, but anyway, so so you go sort of from that proof of principle t- prototype, which is a physical way of testing a theory, and you can you know, work your way through the concept development stage into the CAD. And then once you have the CAD, you can go and print these these products with three D printing. It's quite a common term these days, but it's been around for a long, long time. Okay. And there's different forms of three D printing you can. Print polymers that are offset by by UV light, or you can powders that are sintered by um, lasers. Um, there's all different types. You've even got metal powders that can be sintered by lasers and give you really strong parts that can be tested you know, thoroughly. Um, or you can mill things. So all those processes are additive. So you're taking a powder or a fluid, and you're adding some sort of heating or um, curing process, and you're creating layers of add- addition. So you're adding, like a printer on a paper, you know, you put a layer of ink down, you're just putting a layer of, layer of um, polymer down. And then you're putting another layer of polymer on that, another layer of polymer on that, until you've built up this product. Obviously that takes a long time to do, mm-hmm. and some, some of these processes are all-night processes, um, and that's why the cost is fairly high, because there's still a lot of time involved in these things. Um, they suit, they can do, be used in manufacturing, but they don't, don't suit every product. Obviously they take time, whereas a, an injection mould, of mass manufactured part is very quick to produce you know you don't really want to be producing a, a kettle that takes five days to print each one you know what i mean so they've all got their, their use really really handy if you've got things that change all the time and are really complex like air boxes on race cars they are really complex they're always always evolving and they've got lots of internal parts if you were to make an injection mould tool for each one of those components and add those five components together you be looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars a month's worth of work which you just print all the internal external parts you can test one you can do it overnight test it and it doesn't work you change it and test it again and the, and the, the materials are strong enough to cope with those sort of heats and, and things uh, and then you go right up to the subtractive manufacture uh, prototyping where you're taking materials that may be used in manufacture or in a, in a final product and you're just milling away the material and leaving yourself with a product so I use that a lot uh, because those sort of those sort of um, processes, And they've advanced a lot in recent years with five-axis CNC mills, where they basically can put a block of material in a holder and set the cutting parts off, and it just builds this thing. You know, all automatic change tools and all the rest of it. So far quicker than it used to be when it was all done manually by hand, with you know change parts and very hard to jig. These days, you put it in one chuck, you set it going and it just makes a part for you. Really handy. You end up with a very, very accurate part made from materials that might be very similar to what you might use in the in the, in the end result. They might be exactly the same because there's only a certain amount of materials that are made uh, in block form, they're extruded in block form, whereas if you're going to get injection moulded parts, you'll be, you'll be finding a very specific plastic for that application. Okay. So you'll take a family, maybe an, a glass filled nylon, you can make a product that's quite nice and strong, it's handle um, being used and tested. But you know, you, you might in the injection model final part, have a very specific type of that nylon um, to suit the application of the product. It's a pool filter, you might might use a product that's very good with UV, um, good against chemicals and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. proof of principle, obviously just proving a the theories with something rough and ready. The printed versions, you can use them to present. You can use them for form and fit and all that sort of thing, ergonomics and everything like that. But what I find really handy with the manufactured versions, or the milled versions, is that you can actually make them look and react and feel and be tested just like a final product. We just finished doing a, 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 the first uh, rotating rod holder. So in fishing, you have a rod holder where you put your fishing rod into it on the side of the boat. It's fixed in a certain angle and you just run your line out of that, that fishing rod. You've got no choice as to where the angle of that rod is. So it's handy to be able to move it to be able to change the angle of your rod so that you can change the, the width of your spread on your trolling lines, all that sort of business. There's lots of benefits for having it. You can pull it right in when you're underway so that the rods don't bounce out. All these huge benefits. Um, but we did that, and we, we milled a stainless steel version, and it was almost exactly the same materials I'd used in the... In the in the actual final product, so we can actually go out there and test it. Could be, because one of the one of the things it had to do was be strong. So we, we could do all the FEA testing on CAD, but to actually physically go and test it and make sure it's going to cope with the rigors of fishing, which is you know quite quite a lot of strain and pressure on these things. Uh, we could go and do that before we went to manufacture. So it's a really good way of, and not only that, we use them for videos, demonstration videos, uh, campaigns, uh, getting investors involved. One one thing that's become incredibly obvious to me over the years is how few people can actually make visual leaps between like if I put a concept on a page, my chances of getting an investor involved looking at a 2D sketch, even though it looks to me like you know I've explained everything in the product, the chance of getting an investor involved at that point is almost zero. People just can't make the leap between 2D and a physical part. If you go to any sort of prototype and they can hold and touch and feel and get a feel for how it works, you've got an infinitely higher chance of getting an investor involved or getting any sort of interest and partnerships um, when you have that, that product there. If you go to the next level and you have a product that looks like it's been manufactured and it tugs on all the emotional ties, that you know the colour, the finish, all these things that, that, that come into it, all, all the way things react and tactile. Um, things like weight and snap fits and all the rest of it. If you can tap into those emotional ties, you'll get a very good chance of um, getting people hooked emotionally on that product and then maybe getting investment or, or whatever, or an order off it. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's hugely beneficial. A video, I mean, this, this may be where you step in. When you want marketing material, I mean, how useful would it be to have a video showing the actual manufactured part from your side of things
0: well interesting concept because obviously the programs that you use you can you can produce 3D models Uh, there's there's nothing stopping people from using that in a video I mean if you're videoing something you can't touch it anyway so you can uh, the way uh, some of these programs work now you can you can build a 3D model and make that look quite Uh, Realistic, Mm. you know, with with lighting. As long Mm -hmm. as the lighting is good in the in the video, uh, you can make something look real, Mm. uh, as as real as you can, without producing the product and then filming the actual product. Uh, The trick is just the tangibility, so it's just the believability at that point. But I think that's um, just a touch on that subject. Before that, you were talking about is it's much easier to sell to someone uh, with a, a tangible product they can touch because they haven't got the emotional or the intellectual investment that other people involved in the product uh, sorry other people have been involved in the project for for months maybe even years Mm. you know because everyone has a, a clear picture in their mind as to how they want it to work and then you go and sit down in front of someone and you just want them to get it within, you know, two, three minutes. Yeah. Because obviously, you know, these people review, if they're an investor, they'll want to quickly review it, hmm. make their own mind up as to whether it's got any uh, future. So obviously at that point, having something that they can hold on to, if that's possible, is vital because it means they can start to uh, create their own mental picture. The rather mental than just
1: as well, other technical issues solved. I think the problem with animations, animations, you're right, oh. they're very, these days they're so they can be very so, detailed, so I mean, detailed. So, and, and we, we use them where we can't describe something like you know mm. if you have got a, a, a subatomic situation we've got a thing that you know sterilizes a product in, in a subatomic level it's doing this and and visually he this guy could do it he's great for the animations and he made it look like you know amazing really really accurate but i think people are so used to seeing how how good animations can be that they think there's a bit of foolery in it like is it actually going to work that way you know for the physical product you can actually physically tell that that technical barrier has been ticked off. Okay. Well, I said, but again, I think that comes oh, down that, to- The level I, of risks goes down.
0: Yeah, and I, I appreciate that point too, where, where if you present just simply a video, I mean, the video could be of an actual product, that you, a physical product, but even if it's a 3D model that's, that's, a, that's been executed very well, the believability side of it, and whether someone thinks it's going to work or not, comes down to I think a number of factors. If you're getting in front of investors, and that is, what's the cost of the product? Mm-hmm. You know, where is it supposed to sit on the shelf? Literally, like its positioning. What, what's its? Uh, what's the market need? Like, are you having to create a need, or is this a, a, a need that people are just going to instantly go, "Oh my God, I need one of those." I mean, that's that's never that's really the case. I think every product that is put out there, even ones that are unique, will require a certain sales approach. Uh, nothing sells itself. Essentially, unless it's the cure for cancer or something like that. I mean, not you know, to use a silly example. But, but so I think, yeah, uh, to answer the question, a video is, is, is vital, but I, I really... If you can get a very good 3D model, uh, I think that would just be as effective as a physical model videoing it however if you can build something and put it in front of someone sure mm. I think tangibility is is great because it is actual proof of concept yeah. isn't
1: it so I mean the great thing about having the, the physical model you video it people don't actually see it's a physical model they actually see it work unless you're doing something sort of well especially it, if, film you can, if you thing. can film it in use for yeah, whatever you, it is you film it in use and so that's the first stage but then backing that up they go okay that's sort of the hook that's to get in the door mm then you get the meeting at the boardroom level and you actually turn up with the actual product and you hand it, hand it around. That really, that can really push you to the next level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than animation, you're still, you're still turning up with the same animation you had before and well, you know, there's still a lot of technical barriers that haven't been proven off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can be really, really, in my, in my uh, experience, it's been really, really useful. We actually, um, I used to offer it to my clients. We just started a company called APS Events Prototyping Services where the public can use that same service where we, we mill parts for people if they have the CAD. Yep. But, yeah, we don't push it very hard. I'm not very good at marketing, so. <laughs> it's <laughs> my first level of marketing. Right. Do right <laughs> you need a prototype? But, you know, it, it does create a lot of work for me, so I sort of, uh, I don't push it hard, but it is an op- option, option yep. there, and, uh, and, uh, and as I said, the technology has improved so much in recent years that it allows it, whereas previously, it was still a pain in the bum to do it, 3D uh, milled part because it was all manual and, and where that used to always fall down with accuracy is when uh, you have to do two sides of it, top and bottom. So you do the top, beautiful, la, la, la. Turn around and you get the datum point wrong. So you start from the wrong point, and the bottom's a little bit different to the top. So that's where the accuracy uh, used to be an issue, and and you were sort of relying on the user or, or the or the man, uh, the, um, the the human error of the, mm-hmm. of the of the operator of the mill yep. to get it right uh whereas nowadays you put a block in a single chuck and it moves all over the place so it gets undercuts and bottom top and everything so it doesn't need that rejigging. so generally it's a very very accurate part as well mm. okay yeah. so i think the the takeaway from this
0: episode is essentially yes the a prototype a physical prototype if you can get it is uh, better than not having one and uh, it's also a good good thing to have as part of your sales process that's also even though there's a cost involved in doing it i think it's uh, what scott is saying is it's a vital ingredient if you're going to see investors you've been listening to off to market with scott farley
1: and hamish chadwick